I think what I've learned and what you've shown me and what I've seen the results just come back to me tenfold is when you really get in touch with what you believe in your heart and you find a way to get that out and you say it to people to their face, it connects with them on a much more visceral level. The data is important, as I said, so that you can measure that what you're doing is working. But that's not what actually gets people excited about following you or supporting you. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Goodwin, and I'm so glad to have you with me today, as always. Thank you so much for your shares and your downloads and for being a subscriber. I love being on this voice journey with you, and I've got a really cool episode for you today. I just adore the guest that is with me today. We'll dive in in a minute, but very quickly, just a quick reminder, don't miss the Black Friday deal. Don't miss the Black Friday deal. It's a live group coaching program that I've got that I've got for you half off. Half off. So go over to captivatetheroom.com forward slash P, like Paul, voice, and check out the program. We officially start in January, but have a bonus group meeting in December, small group, individual coaching, hands-on, go into 2020, making an impact and influencing your audience. You need your voice to do that. Stop being a prisoner to your psychology of the voice story. I really want you to check it out. I really want to work with you. Spots are very limited. It's a super small group coaching And check out the testimonials where people are talking about how great the group experience is. If you're worried about the group experience, check it out. Hear what people have to say. But today, I have a former client of mine on the show. This this woman is so impressive. I I just love her to pieces, but she's had this amazing career as well. And has a wonderful organization that she started, a nonprofit called AWAR. And I wanted her to come on the show and talk about voice and women and her work and how she's changing the world with her voice. And I know you're going to love to hear from her. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Amelia Anderson. And she's a seasoned corporate finance executive and a passionate advocate for gender equality. Amelia has forged a reputation across the global aviation industry as a thought leader focused on actionable strategies to drive diversity and inclusion. She's the co-founder and president of Advancing Women in Aviation Roundtable, AWAR, a nonprofit founded in 2015 to work with CEOs and other senior aviation executives around the globe to promote the development and advancement of women leaders. AWAR produces its signature leaders luncheon 
on multiple continents each year. And its participants and sponsors include many of the leading organizations in the global aviation industry. Amelia also leads numerous private workshops and other roundtable events, delivers keynote presentations, quite well, if I must say, and serves on a range of industry panels across the sector each year. Amelia retired from her 30-year corporate finance career in November 2018, most recently serving as the Managing Director, Assistant Treasurer of American Airlines. She's also served as the co-chair of the American Airlines Women's Leadership Program. And in this role, Amelia steered the transformation of the initiative from a purely networking focus to a strategic, mission-driven program integrated with other leadership pipeline functions and reaching beyond headquarters into flight operations, technical operations, airports, and international operations. In 2017, Amelia was honored to be named the inaugural recipient of the Aviation Woman of the Year Award by Air Finance Journal in recognition of her global leadership in both aviation finance and diversity and inclusion. Amelia holds a BS degree in finance and economics from the University of Alabama and an MBA degree in corporate finance from Georgia State University. And she lives with her husband and two kids in my great state of Texas. You are going to love, love this interview. Do not miss a minute. Let's head over to the show. Amelia, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here today. Hi, Tracy. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Oh my gosh. It's not like I didn't rave enough about you in the intro, but I'm just so honored to have you here, not only because you're such an incredible woman and do so many amazing things, but because I just think you're awesome from having worked with you. Well, thank you. Right back at you, Tracy. <laughs> well, you guys, I'll try not to ooh and ah and, and you know, do too much, but I wanted, I, I had the opportunity to work with Amelia, like I mentioned in the intro. Uh, work, she came to me, we worked, did a little bit of voice work, and, and we're going to talk about that, but I love the work that she's doing in the world, the mission, the change that she's making with the organization that she's created. And and that's really why I wanted to have her come on the show and talk today. So we're going to talk about all of those things, but you've got such a rich background and history, Amelia, that I would love to start with. Can you just kind of in a nutshell, talk about your corporate career? And then we're going to dive into what you do today. Okay, great. Thank you. So, as you know, I had a 30-year career in corporate finance. I was in multiple different industries. I started my career in telecommunications, and then I spent really the bulk of the middle part of my career in metals and mining, which was actually a pretty amazing and interesting sector, although not a lot of people know about it. Uh, And then most recently, the last nine years of my working career, um, I was in aviation working for American Airlines. And um, I had the privilege of financing aircraft and did over $50 billion of uh, aircraft and other financing transactions for American. $50 billion. Yeah. That is a lot of money. (laughs) 
lot of airplanes. That's a lot of airplanes. Well, how, how was it being in the corporate world like that? I mean, obviously you guys have probably already figured it out by now, but if not, we're going to talk a lot today about women in the workplace. So how was that being in all those corporate roles as a woman? Is that what led you to the work that you do today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so throughout my career, uh, I tried um, to be really good at what I was doing. And um, I was very fortunate to move up. Uh, to be promoted numerous times everywhere I worked. And I was an officer of a public company, Fortune 500 company, uh, prior to even joining American Airlines. Um, The thing is, uh, as I continued to move up and enjoyed career success, which was amazing, um, as you might imagine, there were fewer and fewer women who were moving up alongside me. Um, you know, early in my career, everyone on my teams were women. And as I moved up, fewer and fewer people on my teams were women. Uh, early in my career, most of my peers were women. And that, uh, you know, as time went on, fewer and fewer of my peers were female. And, um, you know, one of the things that bothered me more than anything was uh, at the end of my corporate career, it seemed like almost none of the meetings that I had with outside parties, um, in particular, you know, banks and other financing parties, because my job was financing, uh, usually there were no women in the room besides me. And um, I I didn't like it. And uh, I had for a long time felt like there was more that I could do. I, I got so much gratification from my corporate finance work, you know, doing successful financing transactions is exhilarating. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I it's, a, it's a thrill, you know, I especially bet. all those zeros on the transactions that we would do. <laughs> and, and the team, you know, we got lots of recognition. We won awards from, you know, the different industry magazines for the transactions that we did and treasury team of the year and things like that which was great. And, and it was wonderful to have those accolades and, and great for our team to be recognized. But um, there was definitely something that I knew uh, was wrong. And I, I felt increasingly that uh, I could and should be doing more about that. Yeah. And that's how you decided, well, you, you tell us the story of how a war was born. Obviously it came out of this feeling. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, my nonprofit, which I now run full-time, is called Advancing Women in Aviation Roundtable, or AWAR for short. And um, I actually co-founded AWAR together with uh, a woman uh, who is an aircraft investment banker uh, at Morgan Stanley. Her name is Dana Barta. She's a great friend of mine and a really cool lady. Um, But she and I were talking uh, one evening we were at dinner and this was 2014. Uh, so I still had several years left to go in my corporate career, but we were talking about the fact that we were going to be attending, um, an aviation finance conference in Europe and that there would be, you know, 
5,000 men at the conference and maybe a couple of hundred women at the conference. And of those couple of hundred women, only probably a few dozen would be attending the quote-unquote women's networking event that they would be having in association with the conference. And we talked about the fact that, you know, while women's networking events are, are nice and, and it's great to talk to our, our you know, female counterparts, um, it, those types of events, in our view, weren't producing change, you know, real change for women in our industry uh, to move into leadership positions or, or to have more women in the industry, period. And so we just decided to uh, invite a whole bunch of people to lunch. And that was the very first AWAR event. That was January 2015. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So what is the big picture? And I'm going to circle back and ask you a couple of questions. But what's the big picture goal for you so, with AWAR? So our mission is to engage with senior leaders across the aviation industry globally to educate them and inspire them so that we can move more women into leadership positions. So we hold events where we have very senior leaders, men and women, uh, and, and we think it's critical that we engage with men in this process. And this goes back to why we didn't think that the women's networking event was driving the change that we sought. Uh, But we seek to engage with senior leaders for the purpose of advancing uh, women, more women into leadership positions in aviation. And you and I definitely feel the same about in order to, to, to really, you know, support and move women up. It's, it's not just women. The women's group is great and I love it, but it's a, we have to have both. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and the thing is, and, and in the past sort of probably five years in my experience, um, the world has really changed and is now so much more ready for this. Yeah. So organizations now desire to be able to report in their corporate responsibility reporting and in their um, support of the UN uh, social development goals, uh, you know, that, that they have a diverse workforce. And it's something that's now a priority for organizations, large global organizations. I also believe that individuals Um, And that includes forward-thinking senior leaders, men and women, now understand that it's important to have a diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they understand that not only do you have to find ways and do things differently to recruit diverse talent to your organization, but you've got to do things differently once you have that talent in the door in order to retain them. And that's the inclusion, inclusion part of diversity and inclusion, Yeah. right? So bringing in diverse voices and then creating an environment where those diverse voices feel free to bring 
that diversity to the table and bring their authentic selves to the table. And with that, the organization benefits greatly because now you have different perspectives. Now you have different leadership attributes and different behaviors and different experiences. And that's what diversity is really all about. Right. Right. You know, as you were telling that story or talking about that, it was so, so great. And it made me think of listeners. I don't know if you ever listened to the episode with Cinder Niemela. It's been a while since Cinder's been on the show. She was a former client of mine as well. And I had her on the show because she had gone to work for a big outfit. I can't remember the industry, but big company. She probably even said it on the show up in the East Coast. Now, this was, Amelia, this was 20 years ago, I think. And she had, uh, first job out of an MBA, she'd gone to SMU and got up there and sat in the first first boardroom meeting, only female in there, and Cinder, she's sharp as a tack. I mean, she's just amazing woman. And the CEO asked a question and nobody said anything. And so she piped up and gave a solution and after the, as soon as the meeting was over, he said, Cinder, I'd like to see you in my office. And she's thinking, oh, this is great. He's going to give me this deal. We're going to run with it. And he shut the door and he turned around and he said, don't you ever open your mouth in a meeting again. Don't you understand? We hired you because we had to put a woman in here. I don't want to ever hear you open your mouth again. And I'm not telling the story out of turn. She tells it on the show. but. I just wanted to share that because you said, look how far we've come. And so I've I've got a question, but I'm going to ask a question and then another question. Okay, so we've we've come a long way since Cinder Niemela was told to don't ever open your mouth again, but we have a long way to go. Oh, yeah. Don't we? We do. And and so what I was saying earlier is that, you know, the world has changed. People yeah. are ready yeah. for um, diversity and inclusion. People want diversity and inclusion. Yeah. What they don't know is, in many cases, how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and lots of, there have been many, many surveys where, you know, every company has some kinds of words and policies around diversity and inclusion and it's an objective and every employee or many employees say of every company say yes that our company says that it's a priority but also many employees and managers will say they don't know what they're supposed to be doing in order to support those diversity goals. And that's absolutely true. I mean, and it's a, cause it's not an easy thing. It's yeah. a, in fact, it's a really hard thing. There are so many reasons that there are, if you just look at the gender equality component yeah. of diversity, there's so many reasons that are, that there aren't more women in leadership positions. I mean, you have unconscious bias, you have what we call the maternal wall, which is all the issues around trying to be a working mother mm-hmm. and you know whether you can still answer your phone 24-7 or be on email 24-7 or travel at the drop of a hat if you need to or work at the office until 10 o'clock at night when you've got a child to pick up or, you know, or for that matter, an aging parent, right? So there are many, many 
reasons that uh, that you can look to and point to as to why there are not more women in leadership positions. Um, there are women's own behaviors, right? We socialize women uh, in the West uh, and in and, and a lot of Eastern cultures as well. You know, to to be friendly, to smile a lot. Uh, not be sweet. Be, yes, be sweet. be sweet. Not to be too outspoken or too yeah. opinionated. Uh, you know, women learn uh, in uh, all throughout their lives to speak in a way that's pleasant to hear, and maybe uh, oftentimes that manifests itself as you and I've talked about before in young women in particular in upspeak, where yes. uh, a, it's a sentence, a statement instead of sounding like a statement actually sounds like a question, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or in fact, words or ideas are phrased really as questions or, or maybe sort of, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, there's so many different reasons and, and not to mention the fact that, you know, when women are authoritative and do speak uh, boldly, uh, there's often the double bind as we call it of, oh, so you're competent and you're authoritative and that makes you no longer likable as a female. Right. Right. Yeah. We had talked about that prior to recording that, and I would have to beep that word out right now. Archie would be beeping that word right out, (laughs) right out, right now. Right. And that's why I started that. I did that uh, round of that woman's only group just because I wanted to work on testing, standing in that middle voice of power. And that's, you know, I've always felt like, and, and you've lived in that corporate world. I did not, but I've always felt like from a voice perspective, the woman that is doing what you're talking about, and she's supposed to be the expert Literally, my data says that I am processing, I am the, the, the 47-year-old male CEO, and I am processing that sound as, hold on a minute, you're asking my permission and you're supposed to be the expert. My data shows that voice alone can end that rise to the top. Yeah, it's it's actually really interesting. And you know, so it's it's so complicated, Tracy. There's yeah. so many contributing factors. Yeah. Um and and so it's not an easy thing to fix. If it were easy, it would have been fixed a long time ago, right? So what we're trying to do at AWAR is to engage people in this discussion. Uh mm. put men and women at the table together and talking about these issues and various takes on these issues. And at at a minimum, what we then are able to do is to open both sides' eyes to their biases and their preconceptions, and so that they can begin to sort of walk down that path together of, okay, now I see where you're coming from, Okay, well, now I can see where you're coming from, Yeah. right? And you begin to find that common ground. And, you know, it's interesting too, a lot of times women in organizations who are successful and especially maybe in, you know, um, the, the 
generation, my generation, right? The older generation. Um, the women who have made it are like, I made it the hard way. I came up through my grit and, t- and determination and they did, right? But they're like, I'm not sticking my neck out to yeah. say that women need any kind of special treatment because I got here and I didn't get any special treatment. And the challenge with that is, first of all, you end up with such a small number of women in leadership positions. It's not enough to really bring the kind of diversity that we're seeking, right? You still have you know, less than 5% women CEOs in the Fortune mm. 500. You're starting to see the needle move in board positions. Now we're up to, you know, 20%, I think in the um, S&P 500 of women corporate directors. But the challenge that we know there is that if you only have one or two women on a board, uh, they still don't have enough power and moral authority on that board to drive significant change. You re- it's interesting. The research shows you've got to have at least three women in order for them to be able to really drive diversity change. But going back to that sort of old school, you know, sort of woman that I made it through grit and determination, it's a meritocracy. Women don't need a hand up. The challenge there is one, like I said, there aren't enough numbers of women. And the other thing is now with today's younger generation, they look at those women and they say, I don't want that life. And they say, that's not, that is not a role model that I want to emulate. Wow. And, and we know it's important. You know, we say you, you can't be it if you can't see it, right? We yeah. know it's important for younger women to have role models, but they have to be role models that they aspire to be like. Yeah. Yeah. And I just really, I just don't like that. And that is really a whole nother episode about, I scraped my way to the top. I'm not helping you. I really struggle with that across the board, you know, and, and I've heard that from so many people that have been on this show, women in leadership, that that is alive and well. So I think that's an interesting topic in and of itself. There, there, it sounds like there are so, so many issues let me ask you this, and, and you may not want to answer this question, Amelia. I may be putting you on, really putting you on the hot seat. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but I'd like for you to talk about, in fact, we were just talking about this before we started today. Are there dangers in women only? I'm, I'm going back to this. I'm kind of, I'm, di- I'm moving in a different direction, but there's all these wonderful support networks for women and all these wonderful women. And I love all that. I'm not bashing that on any level, but what maybe the better question is what is the benefit of having the men involved or, or you could answer the question that where I was going is what is the danger of not having the men involved? Yeah. And and I guess, it, I guess it depends really on, on exactly what it is you're trying to achieve. Um, so if, so with, when we started AWAR, uh, we founded it with the belief, which we still hold today, that we cannot drive change for women in our industry or any industry for that matter, 
if we don't engage with the senior men in the industry. And it, I mean, it just stands to reason, right? If you want to accomplish something, you have to work with the people who are in position of who have enough power or authority or resources or whatever it is to achieve your goal. So if you want to see more women moving up in organizations, you have to engage with the people who are in the decision-making seats. Mm, And those people are primarily men. So I think it's absolutely critical to engage with men. Um, And as, as I said, they want that. I can tell you from my own experience, male leaders, any forward thinking male leader or or any leader that's who's forward thinking and cares about the long-term success of their enterprise and understands that they have to have a sustainable workforce for the next, you know, five, seven, 10 years, the next generation. They care about diversity because it's about human capital, like any other form of capital. They want to make sure that they have access to the best human capital that there is. So I think you have to have the engagement of all leaders, men and women. And it just so happens most of them are men Yeah. Uh, if you want to drive change. Now, alternatively, I will say that if your goal is to help women to develop their skill sets, um, and to be help them to find ways to be more successful in their fields, to prepare themselves long term for uh, leadership positions, then I don't think there's anything wrong with focusing primarily on engaging with those women. Although I think it would also be useful to have men in the in the mix as well as mentors and i'll give you an example of that so one of the uh initiatives that is is sort of broad now and and sort of everybody hears about is and there's many of them really are initiatives to get more women onto boards of directors Mm. uh and in fact um i don't know when this episode's going to air but uh tomorrow um November 21st is the uh, 2020 Women on Boards National Conversation. And there will be luncheon events or in some places, all-day events all over the country. And in fact, in other countries as well, uh, which are focused on uh, getting more women onto public company boards of directors. And, you know, I happen to believe that Yes, it's important for us to talk to senior women, women who are uh, senior executives in public companies or private companies, but to talk to them uh, and coach them and connect them to the various networks that can be useful in getting them exposed to and considered for board positions. But I also think that if you really want to be strategic about getting more women on boards of directors long-term, you have to reach down into the pipeline. And, and in every way, everything having to do with diversity and inclusion can be viewed as a pipeline mm. endeavor, right? Mm. Because you've got to go as far back as, you know, when women are in 
what we call in the U.S., you know, undergraduate school or graduate school or even high school and middle school in some cases in terms of getting girls interested in, you know, STEM subjects mm. or those kinds of things. And then, you know, in uh, the in in Europe, they would call it maybe, you know, second level or third level. Mm. But, you know, in terms of the boards of directors, it, I have had so many board recruiters say to me, and these are headhunters whose job is filling board seats, say to me, well, a board position came up, but it was really specific. They wanted a woman who had, um, you know, for example, aeronautical engineering background or digital marketing background, or nowadays, you know, they want somebody that has artificial intelligence expertise. Um, there's always the financial expert Mm. role on a board that people are looking for. But so by the time the board search is out there, it's really specific. And then you got to go find a woman that meets oh, wow. those criteria, yeah. right? And and uh, they're usually also want somebody that's been in the C-suite of a public company, which that right there narrows down the field, you know, to a fraction. But I think we can turn that around, right? We can look at it more strategically and, and be a little smarter about it. It's It doesn't take a crystal ball to figure out, at least have a pretty good idea of what are the skill sets that boards of directors will be looking for five, seven, 10 years down the road from now. Uh, and if we can get a pretty good handle, I mean, you don't know for sure. I mean, nobody heard of Uber you know, 15 years ago or whatever, uh, you know, we work or things like that. I, so you, you don't have a crystal ball, but it, you can come up with some pretty good ideas of what skill sets are corporate boards going to be looking for in five, seven, 10 years down the road. And, you know, I mean, it depends on the industry and if you've done your homework and, and, you know, People inside these organizations, if you pick their brains, they, they should be able to give you a pretty good roadmap of what they think the yeah. important things are going to be. Uh, is it, you know, how does this organization reduce its carbon footprint? You know, whatever. So once you identify what those things are, then you can go out into, let's say, graduate schools, mm. uh, undergraduate schools, and sort of identify where are those women or those people of color uh, who are working in these fields or studying in these fields today. And then have some incubator process for those people where you say, look, you know what, the skill that you're, that you have this sort of cutting edge blockchain, AI, whatever it is, skill we think is really going to be in demand at the highest levels. And so we'd like for you to start thinking about something like being on a board of directors. Mm. And and because most women don't even think about it until they're right. over 50. Oh, literally. wow. wow. Uh, you have to start developing relationships. You have to start building networks yeah. with people. And it's in many cases, these are what, used to be and, and still are to a great extent, somewhat elite networks, whether it's, you know, uh, the foundation of a big Ivy League school or, you know, your local country club, 
you know, there are networks out there that diverse people oftentimes don't have access to. So if we start thinking about it now, how can we get you exposure to the networks of people that you need to begin to get to know? And how can we get you also the skill sets uh, that are in addition to this specialty that you have, how can we get you exposure to some of these skill sets and think about your next job move and the job move after that and begin to build that portfolio. It's not hard to do if you start early. Yeah. It's if you wait till you're 50 or 55, you know, and you've worked with your head down and your pencil up for 30 years. And then all of a sudden you go, Hey, I'm ready to be on a board. How come I can't do it? Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of long-term opportunity for not just women, but for other diverse communities as well. But um, again, it kind of goes to the many, many factors that contribute to how we got to where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. And I, lo- I really love all of that because I'm sitting here, I sat on boards before I had my son, never was on my mind again until you just brought it up now. So that's exactly what happens, right? You know, you, it, it is, it's that nose down and pencil up, but I was thinking, and I want to, I want to move into voice because you've said some cool things about, about voice that I really want the audience to hear. But as you were telling that, talking about boards, it popped into my mind just recently with podcasting. And I don't remember who the company was, but it's a big podcasting company. And they made this big announcement about they were so excited about their new global board of men (laughs) and women all over the world in podcasting went nuts you know, and they, they corrected it. They went back and corrected it. And I, and so I thought about that as you were talking about boards and, and that was such a powerful thing for you to talk about, but it made me think it's literally like voice work. There is a driver that continues to tell the same story. It's almost automatic behavior, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. i got to fill my board. Okay. Who are the guys? Who are the people that you know? Yeah. Who are the people you know? And right. you know all these guys. So it's that, that's very, very interesting. And thinking outside of that box and moving beyond and providing those opportunities for those more diverse audiences is so critical to this mission, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I have to say, um, the, the audience of people who attend the AWAR events and and we're having our, our six, we have them all over the world now, yeah. but, uh, in, in Ireland in January, 2020, we'll have our sixth annual Dublin, what we call leaders luncheon. And that group of people, while it's gotten bigger, uh, they've been with us now on this journey for six years wow. and they've grown. We've all grown in this yeah. process. Um, you know, and, and so it's no longer, We've got to go in there and say, okay, we have to explain what unconscious bias is. It's, you know, this is a a group of people who are on this journey together and, you know, men and women alike have, have learned and continue to learn. And we feel really good about, um, about our progress. Uh, but you know, I mean, we, we haven't, one thing we aren't able to do is measure the impact that we're having. 
uh, as an organization. And if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to put in a quick plug for another for sure. <laughs> another initiative that I'm working on. So um, I mentioned to you this before. Uh, so interestingly, so AWAR is, is supported by many of the foremost leaders in aviation finance. Uh, and like all good leaders, they, they support us, but they also hold our feet to the fire. And over the years, they have said to me repeatedly, we get it. We agree with you. We think this is important. But how do we know if what we're doing is working? How do we see that the needle is moving? Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, I didn't have an answer to that. Yeah. I didn't have an answer to it because I didn't have the resources to do the research that we would really need in order to canvas uh, all the aviation companies in Ireland, for example. Uh, so interestingly, last year, or earlier this year, uh, there's a, some really cool people at Dublin City University. They have a Center of Excellence for Diversity and Inclusion. And there's a woman leading that center named Sandra Healy, and she is uh, putting together or wanted to put together a, an initiative for the aviation industry in Ireland, which is a very big industry for Ireland across many sectors of aviation, uh, airports and aircraft manufacturers and aircraft leasing companies and the like. Uh, so she wanted to, to undertake an initiative, diversity and inclusion initiative for the industry in Ireland and she asked me to become the chair of this advisory committee. And she said to me that one of the things we will do is bring the research capabilities of the university to bear in researching the industry and creating this benchmark that we need in order to oh, measure progress. Cool. And so, of course, I said yes, because yeah. that's exactly what, I had wanted to do, yeah. but didn't have the resources to do. So I'm super excited That's about that. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you've said some really cool, well, I want to talk about voice. You use your voice all over the world. You are an amazing speaker and you do a lot of speaking now. And we can certainly talk about the process of when you got here, but you've said something that I want to address really quick before we talk about your experience in psychology of the voice effect. You've said some to me and in conversation, and I've heard you say, heard you talk about the conference room voice that you developed when you were all those years in the corporate world. I want to talk about that a little bit. And I want to talk about, we've talked a little bit about being outspoken in the C-suite. So talk about that a little bit. What is the conference room voice? <laughs> well, I, that's what I call um, the the... I guess the voice and the presentation style and the sort of how I showed up, right, yeah. to in my job, in my career in corporate finance. Um, and, and it actually, I think I developed it when I was in college. Um, mm -hmm. I just, for whatever reason, found that it was easy for me to speak in a voice which I think came across as authoritative and very competent. Obviously, you got to know your business. Yeah. But, um, but so I, I think I developed a, a manner of speaking, which 
was intended to convey seriousness and authority and gravitas, mm. which are the things that you need to be successful in uh, negotiating transactions. And it served me really, really well during my corporate career. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about that, Tracy, and as you and I discovered, um, when I went to pivot and when I retired from my career in corporate finance and went full-time into my advocacy work, that voice was no longer working for me. Yeah. You know, that voice, uh, I, I listened to some recordings and saw some videos of myself giving speeches and I cringed frankly, mm -hmm. uh, because it, it just, it, it just didn't sound, uh, to me passionate. And, and mm. I feel a lot of passion on this topic. And I was oh, like, yeah. where, what's happening? Cause it seemed like there was a gap between what I felt like I was saying and the way that I felt like I was delivering it and the way that it actually sounded. And that's when I reached out to you. Yeah. And I think every listener listening right now can relate a hundred percent to what you just said, that perception reception. And, and that's one of those perfect examples that you guys hear me talk about all the time. Are you revealing the best version of you? This woman is passionate about what she does. I mean, fierce like me in voice, but that's exactly what was happening. And and I remember, and I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. You have to tell me if I am. But I remember when we first started working together, I said, man, you are confident. You are a confident speaker. It was. She sent me footage and I said, confidence is not the issue here. The issue is I need you to reach in and grab my heart. And exactly. that's exactly, you know, and that's, I think that's what we worked on was you know, really getting you connected to reveal. It was just, it's just a different way, isn't it? It's just a different way of delivery, right? Yes. No, that's, that's exactly right. It's, uh, it, it's, well, it's a different way of delivery, but it's, it's also being more connected mm -hmm. to what I really wanted to say. And you helped me to get in deeper to yeah. what I, what I was really thinking and feeling and why I was doing this. And I think that was an important part, right? Was in order for people to come on this journey with me, they need to be able to feel really at, at, a, at a basic human level why I'm doing it. And I, I think maybe initially I was focusing on the data, which is important. Mm, sure. It's really, sure. really important. And it kind of yeah. goes to the measurement thing, right? The, yeah. the research is, is important. And the other aspect of that is when Dana and I started AWAR, we said to each other, look, we've, these are, this is a, an information and data driven group of people. And so we're not going to go in there and be like, woe is us and poor women. We're not yeah. being treated fairly. And that was, absolutely didn't want to do that. We wanted to focus on the facts, right? And, and the data and the research, and I, I, which I think is very important. But I think what I've learned and what you've shown me and what I've seen the results just come back to me tenfold is when you really get in touch with what you believe in your heart and you find a way to get that out, 
and you say it to people to their face, it connects with them on a much more visceral level. The data is important, as I said, so that you can measure that what you're doing is working. But that's not what actually gets people excited about following you or supporting you. Yeah. And that's why I say the words are everything and they are nothing because I'm not going to ever say the words don't matter because they do. But I love what you're saying. And what I hear you talking about is connection and then emotional connection. You think you could get, well, you know, it's great. You were fine. You know, you got here, you're confident we could connect. But then you took me on, I was like, you took me on the journey. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is part of the whole conference room voice is taking the emotion out of it. Yes. Right? I mean, yes. what, one of the things I learned early in my corporate finance career was uh, not to be emotional. Yeah. Um, that, in fact, was the last thing you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and now I will say that there were times in my, you know, conference room <laughs> voice, so to speak, where I used emotion to effect... Um, for example, if if I felt that other parties were um, playing games, uh, you know, agreed to something, and then the next time we were on a call, they took it back, mm. uh, I would use judicious amounts of sort of indignation, put it yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that could be effective, and it works really well for men. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, I think, for women, which we can talk about. But um, but other than that, there was never a time that I used emotion in any way in my speaking. And so I had forgotten how to do it, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah. Kind of relearn or rebuild that that muscle memory, as you call it. Well, and I think the world tells us, I feel, you know, somebody said this to me years ago, somebody that I've worked with in Australia, and they said, it's like you've given me a permission slip. And I loved that. And I've heard it so many times since then. And it's like, here's your permission slip to go ahead and reveal that passion, because that is actually going to inspire me, not make me go, who's this circus clown up here? And our perception is that, you know, because of the world we live in, is that, oh, well, that would be over the top. That's too much. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And I'm like, are you doing it? Because I'm not even noticing. Give me more. <laughs> Give me more, you know, with everybody. And so, and it is powerful because it is moving because it does make people feel. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I totally, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's something that you taught me how to, uh, really connect with in myself. And, and now I use it all over the world and yeah. I, and I, I'm still, you know, I mean, I'm a work in progress. I, I still always feel like when I'm, uh, you know, pausing after, uh, something that I'll, I'll say that I really want to, to land on people and to have them to really sort of go, wow, you know, where, where's this going? I always feel like, oh gosh, this is a this pause is way too long. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But you know, something and I don't know, I hope I'm not telling all your secrets, but something else I know that my audience will really can really relate to is you got here with a script and you left without one. 
because you knew the words. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I used to, when I would give a speech, I would write every word out. Yeah, so um, many of my people. Every word. Every I word. Mean, every word. Put in a smile, you know, a smiley face because I would forget to smile and um, I would see oh, photos. Yeah. I would see photos of myself uh, during public speaking engagements and it'd be like, wow, I look like I'm mad. But anyway, <laughs> so I put in, you know, here's a smile. But I would put every single word, every comma. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would listen, I would record it recorded on my yes. uh, voice memo. And then like on the plane, on the way over, I would listen to it so that I could memorize it. Yeah. And, um, I actually thought that was a good thing. I thought that yeah. was a good way to do. Um, but it turns out that, uh, it, it wasn't because as you said, I would, I was getting caught up in the words. Right. And yeah. it's really hard to deliver. Um, at least for me, uh, a memorized speech for say 15 minutes or whatever and get it all exactly a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And, and that's where that was part of the inauthenticity that I would hear yeah. in those recordings. Right. Because it, it, you know, it, when there was a little bit of a mistake, a trip over some words or something, um, you could tell that it was because I knew exactly what words I meant to yeah. say and I kind yeah. of goofed it up. So what you taught me to do is get in touch with what I wanted to say and organize it in a few big chunks in my mind. Uh, and uh, clearly I have a lot to say, right? I have, a, a, have strong opinions and, and lots of thoughts about uh, this topic. Yeah, And so once I organized it in those manageable chunks, and it's easy to remember what they are because, you know, they're so near and dear to me, then it was just a matter of speaking from the heart. Yeah. Yeah. No notes. Yeah. And you don't, haven't used a note since, have you? I have not. No. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, this woman can captivate a room. Mm -hmm. I have seen her do it. Yeah. And it's, you know, the only sad thing about it is that I don't get to see you too much anymore because <laughs> you were such a star, star student. You just came in and got it done. And it wasn't, was it hard? Was it hard to shift? No. It out of, was out of easy. conference room voice into what you do today? Uh, no, no, it, it wasn't hard. It does take practice. I'm still, yeah. like I said, it's, a, it's still a work in progress. Um, it's not hard at all. Once you told me, you show, you taught me the, the techniques, right? The tools. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the way that we work together, I mean, you, you got very detailed, the videos I would send you, you would put timestamps, oh, right? Yeah, at yeah. this point you should, you know, think about this and I could go back and look exactly at what you were talking about. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that's exactly what uh, I needed to do. And then, as you know, at the end, I would tell you, I would, make a video and send it yeah. to you. And I'd say, yeah, well, yeah. At, at the three minute mark, I think I could have yeah. <laughs> put in a little more vocal variety. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it wasn't hard at all. Uh, it was a gift that you gave me and I, I, I'm so grateful to you for that. It's oh my gosh. It was a joy. And, and hopefully helped, uh, to, you know, spread the yeah. word of AWAR and, and, uh, carry the mission forward. Oh, for sure. Out there making people feel all over the world. 
you know, and that's, that's what it is. That's the, that's the love for me is the trickle down. Now you can take your message and really shake somebody's cage even on a deeper level than you already did. You already were, but now it's that, you know, passion to passion, which is, is certainly my mission to get everybody captivating the room. And you do, you do. Well, thank you. Gosh, this has been so great. I know I'm going to have to let you go because we've been talking for a while, but thank you so much for being here. Now, can the listeners in any way get involved to support you and your mission? I would love, yeah. So, well, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, uh, Amelia Anderson and the organization is AWAR, Advancing Women in Aviation Roundtable. Uh, I'm based here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas, but AWAR is global. Yeah. Um, And of course, I'm uh, working on the initiative in Ireland, the Dublin City University Center of Excellence for Diversity and Inclusion uh, initiative. We need a shorter name. Uh, But, but, um, you know, and I'd love to connect with people on LinkedIn and hear from them. Uh, Yeah, no, that would be great. Okay, well, we'll put Amelia's, I'll get her, oh, I'll get and, your, your LinkedIn profile, and, however they can connect with you on LinkedIn. Yeah, and our, I've, I've almost failed to say our website is okay. www.awarglobal.com. Okay, excellent. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. All right, well, anything else? Anything else we forgot to talk about today? Can you think of anything else? This has been great. Uh, well, I can only think to say, I uh, hope you have a beautiful Thanksgiving. Oh, you too. You too. And you too, listeners. Well, those of you who are in America. Right. I think they, I think they celebrate Thanksgiving in Canada, but not at a different time. I think that's right. Yeah, earlier than ours, I believe. Well, Amelia, thank you so much for being here. It was such a great discussion and I loved seeing you and having you on the show. And come back sometime. Would love to, Tracy. Thank you so much. And I, I just, I really miss talking to you on our, our Tuesday afternoons. So thanks for everything that you've done for me um, and to help me, as I said, push the AWAR mission forward. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to come back. Yeah. Well, we'll have you back. And who knows, maybe I can convince Amelia to go on the road with me. We'll do some teaching on the road or something. That would be we'll awesome. See. We'll see. She's busy, but. All right. And thank you, listeners. I sure do appreciate you, but I'm going to wrap it up today. Until I see you next time, you know what to do. Get out there and speak your truth. Just do it beautifully. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab the voice formula, a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. 